Well, today I'd like to begin by making a statement, and that statement is this. What we see matters, and what we see in others and what we say to them matters a lot. Uh, in today's culture, it's very easy to criticize, to point out the faults of others. I know you don't do it, but, you know, some other people do. They, it's easy to criticize and tear down and, and mock. It's the, we, uh, the people we live with, the people we work with, elected officials. It's easy to point out their problems, and it's easy to look at the negative. It's easy to look at the negative. But today, I want to talk about what if there was a better way? What if there was a different way? to think about and look at people and look at others? What if there was actually a better way to communicate truth and life into other people? Uh, last week, uh, we started a series that really focuses on Jesus. And we started this series called Hero. And the premise is simple. It's how you move from being the hero of your own story to becoming a hero maker, someone that makes someone else the hero in the story. It's a shift in perspective away from my gifts, away from just my abilities, and a shift to see what God is doing in other people around you. And today, well, last week was about how to think like a hero maker, and today is about how to see like a hero maker. Seeing something in other people actually matters. And we're going to look to the life of Jesus, because Jesus saw interesting things in people. He saw amazing things. He saw the potential in people. And we get a sense of this when we look at Mark chapter 1. Mark is one of the uh, four Gospels, the four accounts where people told the stories of what Jesus' earthly life was like. And in Mark chapter 1, in verse 16, we see an example of this. Jesus is doing something. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. I love it. Hold on, pause. I love this detail. It wasn't like these two were just a good hang. Hey, you're a good hang. We should hang out sometime. Jesus actually hits them up while they're at work. They're at work. They're fishing. They're throwing nets into a lake. He hits them up in that moment. He came to their work and said, hey, we read on. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee. That's a great name, by the way, Zebedee. Zebedee and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, sometimes when we read this, we don't realize how powerful this moment is for the disciples. If we were to, to apply this to our modern context, how weird would it be if I came to your work while you were working, you're a teacher, or maybe you're a, a programmer, or maybe you're a, a tenure track professor at a low, no, not tenure track, uh, maybe, you're, maybe you teach people at a school nearby, and and like you're there and you're doing your job and like your boss is nearby in an office because, you know, back to work in the office culture, it's coming back. And you're there and you're doing your typing or whatever it is you're doing. You're avoiding work. You're scrolling. You're doom scrolling. Whatever it is you're doing uh, at work, I hit you up at work and I go, hey, anybody want to go fishing? It would be a little weird. 
It would be a little creepy. And it would be even more creepy if I go, anybody want to go fishing for people? It would be a little even more weird. In our modern context, it's a little strange to read this. Jesus walks up. Hello, I can see that you're at work today. Come follow me to fish, you know, for people. And they're like, done. And they drop their stuff and they follow him. So he hits these dudes up at work. They immediately follow him. So what's really going on here? Well, there's some context that I think is important for us to understand how powerful this moment is. In the first century, most, if not every Jewish man or Jewish boy, dreamt of becoming a rabbi. That was the big dream. They didn't uh, dream of becoming a football player. They didn't dream of becoming a famous Hollywood actress. They didn't dream of building their own YouTube channel. Subscribe and like, smash that like button. What they dreamed about is being a rabbi. They wanted to be a teacher. A rabbi were the most respected people in the Jewish community. So every Jewish boy, when they were very young, would attend some sort of version of a, an introductory educational system and, and get involved in a school that resembled something like what we would have a, a, as a school, okay? And that was the bullseye. The mark, the highest good, the highest career goal you could be was a rabbi. But get this. If you wanted to become a rabbi, you had to be selected by a rabbi at some point. You didn't just sort of graduate and then build your own thing and go to seminary and then find your way into Pacific City Church like the system is now. You didn't do it that way. Uh, you had to be selected by a rabbi if you were going to become a rabbi. And at various points in, the, in everyone's educational journey, the vast majority of people would be pulled aside the vast majority of people would be brought into a room or brought to the side of the stage or, hey, can we talk after class? They would be pulled aside and the speech would go something like this. Hey, you've got a great heart. I see your heart's in the right place. But we're here to tell you, you just don't have what it takes. And you need to go home and you need to take up your family's business. Whatever they do. Are they carpenters? Are they fishermen? Fisher people? Uh, do they build pottery? Whatever ancient <laughs> career your family did, that's what you're going to go do now. You don't have what it takes. You don't cut it. That's how it would go very often for many people. And at the very end of this educational pro process, it was only the very, very, very top of the class, the very, very, very cream of the crop who would be a selected. And eventually then a rabbi would go to them and say, come, follow me. And then from that point on, your life would be dedicated to follow in the footsteps of your rabbi. Your rabbi would go there, you would go there. Your rabbi would go here, your rabbi, you would go with your rabbi there. And they would have sayings like, may the dust of your rabbi fall upon you. Like meaning you, you would be in his shadow. Like you've heard the phrase maybe imitate before you innovate. They would imitate their rabbi every move they make they would go with the rabbi and they would learn the ways of the rabbi and then they would eventually emerge uh, from that apprenticeship and become their own rabbi. That was the goal. That was the aim. So, for Peter and Andrew to be fishing at the start of the story, what does that mean? It means that they didn't make the cut. It means somewhere in their life, someone said, you got to move along, kid. 
We like you. Peter, you got a big personality. Peter, but you get a lot of things wrong. It's time for you to move on. You just don't make the cut. You're not good enough. Has anybody ever felt that weight before? You don't have to raise your hand. Has ever felt like you didn't make the cut? That you haven't been picked or selected or maybe you weren't hired or maybe you were dumped uh, in a romantic relationship? Has everyone felt that way? Listen, I don't know about you, but at every turn in my life, I've never been first pick. I was Nikki's first pick. Sort of, actually, not really. I mean, she just gave me a dirty look. She's like, eh, I tried it out. Anyway, so you won't go on that road. I was never first picked. I don't know if you know this about me, but sometimes my personality can be seen as sort of a risk in certain leadership situations. Like, oh, he's, he's fun, but if we give him the keys, he might crash the car. We don't know. From sports to leadership opportunities to uh, pastoral opportunities, seminary opportunities, I've never been first pick. So when I read this, I actually sympathize with the disciples. I understand they're like, what? You want, you're, are you talking to me? Are you talking to my dad? Are you talking to the higher guys in the boat? Are they talking to Zeb? The dad, Zebedee? Have you ever been overlooked? Now imagine that a million times more. See, in the Western individualized American culture, if you're overlooked in one area, you can always sprout up and grow in another area. That's not how things were done here. So that feeling that you had was bottled up, and that's the way it was in ancient Israel first century Palestine. That was probably more what these fishermen felt like because every single day of their life, they were reminded that they were not picked, that they didn't make the cut, they weren't good enough. And the very fact that they were fishermen, their very existence from day to day meant that they weren't good enough and they didn't make the cut. So for this rabbi to come to them while they're not making the cut and saying, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people, this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This would have been, what? Are you sure? It starts to make a little more sense why they would immediately drop their nets and follow him and leave the hired men in the boat. It makes sense. Now pay attention to what he says here. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. We're going to go out and fish for people. It's as if he's saying, you thought your entire life was going to be about fish, dirty fish, smelly fish, not catching fish, untangling the nets because, you know, Jebediah didn't put them away right last night. You thought your life was going to be about the fishing life, gone fishing. It's not. You're going to fish for people. You're going to bring love to the unloved. You're going to bring hope to the hopeless. And you're going to help me restore the world as it was meant to be. What Jesus saw in the fishermen went way beyond what they saw in themselves. In this moment, when Jesus says, follow me, this meant a massive moment for them. It's a massive change. And what we learn here is something that we already know, which is our words have power. And today what I'm inviting us to do, this small congregation, what I'm inviting us to do is to adopt the ways of Jesus. As we follow Jesus, here's what we know. Here's what we know. As we follow Jesus, 
You and I are changed. We are transformed because Jesus looked at us and said, I see something in you, come follow me, and we did it. And the result of that transformation is that we are given new eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit to look across our world in our relationships and to see things in people that they don't see in themselves. It's not just for me and Jesus, but it's also Jesus for others. And what Jesus sees in me is something that I can see in other people. The point is, is that you and I can adopt a vision for others. We can become personal vision casters for other people because that's what Jesus is doing in this moment. I see something in you that you don't see in yourself. In the same way as a Jesus follower, you can say, I see something in you that you don't see in yourself. To see in others what they can't yet see in themselves. And then after you see it, you call it out. You call it forth. You say, come out of Come out of you, like out of that person. It's not like a, um, you know, it's not like a evil movie or something. But you're calling out what you see in the person, what God is doing in in people. You can say to the person who is experiencing shame from all their regrets, from all their mistakes. We can communicate, hey, the future is still unwritten. I see potential in you. To the single mother who is down on her luck, you can begin to sow vision. We can actually say to her, like in full honesty, like in full truthfulness, there are no predeterminisms for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's no predeterminisms for your children. We see potential there. And to the timid person that doesn't know if they have enough talent or if they don't have the right gift mix, they took one of those spiritual gifts tests and it came back the worst. Oh, we don't even know how to grade you. You're the worst, right? (laughs) You scored zero on every level. Are you sure you're human? Like for the person that doesn't feel like they don't feel like they have the right gift mix or the right role, we can begin to see their potential and we can jump in and say, hey, I see you. You can do this. You can do this. And to the young people in our lives, we can say, I'm with you. I believe in you. You see, hero makers see in others what they can't yet see in themselves. Hero makers see in others what they don't see in themselves. I want to share a quote that I read uh, recently, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's still true. Uh, it's this, anybody can count the number of apples on a tree, but a wise person can count the trees in an apple. Mm, mm, mm. I like it. Does that make sense? Or No? How many, you guys, does anyone get it here? Okay, who gets it? Okay, so in an apple there are seeds, and those seeds can become trees. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, (laughs) good Lord. (laughs) So anyone, let me try this again, okay? Anybody can count the number of apples on a tree. And you know what a tree is, right? And you know what apples are? Like, hmm, this tree has many apples. But the real potential is if you look inside that apple, what are there? There's seeds. And those seeds, if properly nurtured and planted, become even more trees with more apples. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And, and, by the way, more seeds. Yes, yes, more seeds that lead to seeds. You guys, okay. Uh, 
I feel confident that it, okay. Um, I love that. God calls people like you and me to look around this room and begin to think and see differently. To see the number of trees that are possible in the room, the number of seeds that could become trees. And when I look around this room, I gotta be honest, I see a lot of potential. And when you look around this room, the lenses that Jesus has given us is to look at others in this room and to see potential. And seeing like Jesus saw is a major part of being a disciple of Jesus. It's what it's meant to be a hero maker. To see beyond the facade, to see beyond the veneer, all of our mistakes, all of the wounds, all of the scars. And personally, I'm here today as a follower of Jesus because there were hero makers in my life that spoke life and purpose and meaning and identity into me, even when I wasn't sure if I saw it in myself. Who are those people for you? Is it a teacher? Is it a friend? Is it a parent? Is it some other peer? Many of you are here today because someone did that for you. Someone saw life and purpose and meaning even when you didn't see anything there. You saw maybe darkness or mistakes or just your own set of circumstances, your flaws and your errors and your shortcomings, but they saw something in you that was bigger and better and bolder. Who is that for you? And, a big and, who do you need to be that for somebody else? Andy Stanley, he is a pastor of a small house church in the greater Atlanta area, wrote a book called Visioneering. He's got this amazing quote. Let's see if this one makes sense. It's, uh, speak to someone's potential instead of just their performance. Speak to someone's potential instead of just speaking to their performance. Now, speaking to someone's performance isn't bad. It feels great. It's a pat on the back. Hey, you did a great job, uh, you know, with the thing, with the thing. And, you know, we all love to get a pat on the back. We like that feeling. It's good. And we need to keep doing that. We need to encourage people when they perform well, okay? Uh, and uh, to get a word for, from God, you know, or from you, from their performance. I get that. However, it's life-changing when you get a word about your potential. It's life-changing when you get a word about your potential. Do you understand the difference? Encouragement is good. Dopamine's involved when you encourage someone. However, it is trajectory shifting. When you look at someone in the eye and I say, I see something in you that you can't yet see in yourself. And right now, uh, what I want to do is I want to give you a tool to help you do this with others. It's very simple. It's the, probably the four most important letters in the alphabet. It's called I see in you. Uh, and here's what it stands for. I see in you. <laughs> I see in you. Here's what I see in you. And, here's, and this is how Jesus did it, and this is how you can do it. It's like, hey, here's what I see in you. I see this. I see the way you're raising your kids. I see the way you're conducting yourself at work when nobody's looking. I see at how you're addressing the issues of your failing parents' health. And uh, I see how you're stepping into this new set of relationships in this coming season. I see what you're doing there. I see how you're doing hard things behind the scenes. And I want to tell you, it's good. I see how you're serving or you're leading. It's really important. But I also see you, and this is about your future trajectory. I see what this could become. It's what I see you becoming. It's what I see God doing in your life. So let me pause and ask you a question. Has God placed anybody on your heart since I've been speaking for the last 20 minutes? Is there anybody who comes to mind, a name or a face, that you're thinking, you know, 
it would probably be good for me to have an ICNU conversation with them. You don't have to do more than that. You just need to say, you need to pick up the phone, give them a call, text them, write them, say, hey, let's get together. And just, you know, remind them, maybe you've told them before, or tell them for the first time, hey, here's what I see in you. Maybe it's someone on your team at work, or maybe there's someone in this community, and it's really obvious, and it's been on your mind for a long time. And perhaps you're sitting here, and God has brought to mind multiple people that you need to have a ICNU conversation with. Um, well, if that's you, you can do this. This is the way Jesus does it. He just calls out what he sees in people. And for those of us who um, believe that God speaks to our hearts and minds um, on a regular basis, this is a great way to practice growing and hearing God's voice. Because maybe the thing you see in somebody else isn't your own thought. Maybe it is God himself speaking that to your mind, and it's important for you to practice and step out and say those things. Now, I know it can be a little intimidating to say, here's what I see in you, especially if you haven't really told them in a while or have never told them, to make this shift in your heart. It can be intimidating. So here's what I want you to do. It's a very intimate group this morning, so we can do this. What I want you to do is turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, I see in you the ability to have an I see in you conversation. All right, go ahead and do that. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. There you go. Do it. Do it. I, I see in you. I see, the, I see in you. I see in you. Or I see in you. Tell them. I see in you. I see in you. Oh, Lord, I feel the spirit. What? You can do this. Why don't we all stand, guys? Let's.